This episode of EM Weekly has been archived. The ideas presented by the former host of EM Weekly may not reflect or represent the values of the Readiness Lab and the Doberman Emergency Management Group. Out of respect for the guests who contributed to this episode, it remains available online. EM Weekly starting right now, bringing emergency managers from around the world together to learn, share, and collaborate. Good morning, good morning, and uh, happy April Fool's Day for everybody out there. So hopefully no one has any tricks played on them. Um, so welcome to Ian Weekly, and Dan sh should be in the show here somewhere, but today we are talking uh, to Jordan Vilcock from Ontario, uh, California, not Ontario, California, Canada, although if you did look at the abbreviation, it's still Ontario CA, which could, could really confuse people, but uh, we're discussing a couple of things, and, and one is pods and and the process of, of doing pods, and Jordan not only has done pods or is doing pods in Ontario, he's really been one of the leading um, voices in using pods in um, Orange County, California before he left. So Jordan, welcome to Ian Weekly. Hi everybody, thank you so much. So Jordan, so I know that you guys have been working pretty hard over in Ontario and we're gonna get to a couple of things that you guys are doing, but uh, I, I wanna talk a little bit about the pods here first. So um, you guys put two up using the couple of the centers that you have up there. They seem to be very successful. Uh, talk about that process and what it is as a city, which is, you're not a very small city. You're a pretty good sized city now. Um, it's not like you're a small town. What is it like using the pods and, and how does that work and how are you working with public health? Well, it, it definitely comes down to the partnership with public health since this is really their emergency and we're there to support it. Um, we're definitely blessed in Ontario with nice facilities and uh, good structure around us that we can host these pod locations. When the pandemic started, obviously the first priority was really the testing site. So we started actually working on MOUs with a lot of our cities or a lot of our facilities that weren't already on the pod list. So obviously as pod planning or the point of distribution planning with public health has been going on for years, that really the scope that they were looking at was more of using high school, the drive-through component, um, different areas. And obviously with this pandemic, that kind of changed in, in the needs of the facilities and what they're looking at, as opposed to having a whole bunch of small facilities in a bunch of cities, they were looking at the bigger facilities and kind of in sections of the county. So the needs really changed and we had to quickly move forward with some MOU processes and figure out how we're gonna to dance together and what facilities are gonna be used. So from the onset, we use the Ontario Arena, which is up in the Northern part of our city for a drive-through testing site that started in May. And that's one that we had a couple events at before testing really progressed and when it became more available, when you didn't need symptoms and as things started kind of lessening on the restrictions, we transitioned to a, a facility over by the convention center, a separate facility where we've had the testing site open um, in May will be a full year that we've run that. And uh, they've done everything from about uh, 100 tests per day is really what we're looking at right now and what we've been doing. But before that, at, at the height, it was over a thousand that they were pushing through there. So a lot of coordination, a lot of logistics planning, a lot of um, uh, people talking to one another to make things work. And 
when you when you started setting these up, did you did you experience any any resistance for those who did not want to get tested? I mean, was it was it open it up and then the everybody's like, I want to get tested, or was there was there resistance? I know where I'm from, there was a little bit of a combination of, of resistance and those who are like seeking, I want to get tested. Uh, did you experience any of that down there? I wouldn't say we did because only people that were interested had to go through. Obviously, when testing was not as readily available as is today, that people had to have symptoms and had to meet qualifications. And there was much more of a stringent process to get through and get tested. There was also longer delays in getting results, etc. And then when it was really opened up for appointment and then really just walk up now that um, only those that are interested in doing it would need it. Now, are you transitioning from testing to uh, vaccinations at the same locations or have you changed those? No, it's actually a, a state mandate that they can't be at the same physical location, that they have to be at separate sites. So when we went to the vaccination piece, the county worked with us to utilize the convention center. And the delivery method that the county was looking at was a not a drive-through type of situation, but really a facility that would be sheltered for any type of weather scenario. So as you see other pods around you know, the nation that are impacted by either wind conditions and have to shut down if they have rain conditions, uh, whatever is kind of going down that pathway, that having an indoor facility such as a convention center that has the square footage and ability to um, expand and contract as necessary was really the goal and why they focused in on the convention center for our, our pod for the vaccination piece. No, real, real quick follow up on that, <clears throat> um, on the coordination part of it. I know that in some instances, there's been some, I don't want to say conflict, but definitely um, disagreement and, and concepts between emergency management mm -hmm. and, and public health. How, what did you do to, to lessen that friction and to work together with them? I, I think it really comes to collaboration and being willing to listen to one another doesn't mean that we always have to agree. We have to advocate for our own behalf, our community here in Ontario, for the city of Ontario, and public health has to advocate for, for what their missions are and what they're looking to do. And I think getting in the same room and having conversations and figuring out where are the, the breaking points for each agency and the must-haves and the must-dos, um, you're able to, to you know, make some, some work lay out and really bring it to the community. I, I, I think that's really how you overcome those hurdles. And if you're not able to overcome them, then at least you've had the conversation and both agencies have to move on. But that wasn't the case with Ontario, that we really wanted to have this resource in our city. We know that it's a, it's a center point in the west end of San Bernardino County that has a big reach. It's a known area. It's easy. This convention center, like most, are made for a ton of people to come to at one time and to be there. It was important for us to have the walkthrough um, have the facilities in place and um, we were happy to host and public health was happy to bring it. We were actually the first large site in San Bernardino County that opened. Did you already have a, a point of distribution uh, plan in place or was this one of those things that when they approached you and said, we want to do this, that we had, you had to develop it like on the spot? Um, and, and did you find that having done it already with the testing helps you even f further along with the vaccinations? So we didn't have a distribution plan in place for the convention center because when the plans were made and pushed forward with public health, the, the past three, five years, whatever it was, was much different type of delivery. They were looking for that drive through. They were looking for those small sites that could serve actual communities. 
not looking at really providing a vaccine to a large numbers. So that really wasn't helpful. But what was helpful is that we understood what pods were and we had to kind of tweak them as necessary to fit the needs of what this pandemic was bringing. Obviously the two shot approach is a little bit differently than just giving one level of medication or passing out water or doing a test. So that added to it. So we did not have one in place for the convention center, but we were quickly, once you put your brains together, you'll, you can map it out. You put some people in, in place that know what they're talking about and can make decisions. And then, you know, we came out with the product. It was something we worked on for a little bit in January, and then it was opened on February 4th and it's been open six days a week since. There are probably over about 35,000 vaccines that they've given at that location over the past month or so. One of the, I think smart things and wins that that I take as an emergency manager is the county decided to hire temporary workers to be consistent employees at these pod sites. So the county led that effort to staff it from everything from the check-in to the people that were vaccinating to the management of the pod to the workers were all done through the county and we simply brought the support resources such as security the police department traffic the facility approach the janitors that whole side of it came from the city and we weren't having to carve out city employees on a rotation in the county to fill in roles at a pod for a temporary time and then constantly have to retrain employees that i think we have the core group and a lot of them came transition from the testing. So that happened at the testing as well as it was going along. So while they called them temporary employees, they've actually been you know, used in multiple different um, aspects of this pandemic. So the experience that you had working in pods when you're in Orange County, um, and some of the exercises that, that, that uh, we, you and I did together at the time, did that help you um, in this real situation? Absolutely. I think the whole goal is to pass something out, right? Whether it's a vaccine, whether it's a giving a product. Um, I was happy to be part of the exercise that Irvine really hosted with Orange County Public Health, which was the pumpkin pod where we gave out a pumpkin in October, trying to get people to test the abilities to pass out, you know, supplies to the community. And I think seeing that on a grand scope and coming up and that was really a one day event. It was a heavy lift for one day, but those plans and that, that whole IEP, everything that comes to play really came to play as well in the real scenario of the vaccine. It just obviously isn't a one day event. It's a (laughs) multiple month event, but it's really one plan, right? And you tweak it as necessary if things change. Like I said about the convention center is it really can expand and contract. While we're sitting about a thousand to 1500 vaccines, which is pretty small compared to some of the other super pods in Southern California, but if there's enough allocation and need, we can expand it up to 5,000 a day because there's really the bandwidth in that one room. And that was important. Absolutely. So Tony Fogarty from um, on LinkedIn, he asked a question. He says, hi, Jordan. Here in the UK, it seems to be certain communities where there's a lower uptake in vaccines. How are you guys encouraging the take up? I'm assuming the take up is meaning the individuals taking the vaccine. Is that how yeah. you're in- Okay. I mean, 
there's just the public outreach that's going on through the county and through the state that's saying to take the vaccine when it becomes available and it's in your tier. I think that's always going to be a challenge. People are going to make their own independent decisions that's best for them and their family. But having it available and showing them where they can get it and the benefits of it and um, I mean, just probably the same stuff you guys are doing out there. But I think some some leaders in the U.S. also got it at the beginning and showing that it's safe and that they support it. And I think that's that's a big push, too. It's always going to be a challenge, though. Absolutely. So, one, I mean, one of the big points that you, you know, you, you alluded to a little earlier is collaboration. And so how did that I mean, have you did you have a good working relationship with all these moving parts? Each different departments, different and different that have different capabilities, or is it something that you were able to develop during uh, the crisis itself? Uh, many organizations they don't necessarily have the best working relationships, and they have to like learn it in the midst of a crisis. Versus others who have a great working relationship and kind of just kind of sell right into a good working relationship during a crisis. What, how did you experience it down there? Well, I can speak specifically for our city. So the city of Ontario is a full service city. So we have a department that really does everything. So you already have that connection and that unity that's organic in this organization. So that was definitely beneficial. And, and working for an organization where everyone is willing to do whatever it takes to do the best for the community is refreshing too. So, so I think for the city of Ontario, that was really, really important. In regards to public health, um, I had a relationship with their uh, preparedness manager at San Bernardino County Public Health, um, Todd, you'll like this, but because of the NEMA class that I took in Riverside in 2018 and 19, that she was in the cohort. Oh, so cool. I already had that connection even before I left Orange County over here that I knew the individual and you're not meeting during that disaster. Now, obviously, this has been a long-term event that started with the pandemic and trying to get how many positive tests and testing to now vaccines that we just really transitioned in different phases. It's really held true. But you know, one thing that it comes with partnerships and, and doing things and making things happen, action items, not just talking, is collaboration, talking on the phone, answering the phone call, even when it's 8.30 at night, responding to an email, because there's reasons why people, especially in our positions, are sending these emails because we have our own charges that are taking place from our executives above us that need answers for us to move forward. And I think, it can definitely be exhausting during long pandemics, but when it comes to partnerships and those key relationships that are necessary for you to do your mission, but also for, for me is to just take that step and, and make that last phone call. No, absolutely. And, the, and I agree with that 100%. And yes, everybody, the, the, the academies, the executive academy, the, the advanced academy, even the basic academy, it's, it's more than just taking education there. It's also getting to meet great people. Dan and I, you know, we went to the Executive Academy together, um, you know, and, and collaboration. It's awesome. And, and Jordan, thank you for, for pointing that out. Hey, real, we're going to jump up to a break real quick. And when we come back, I want to talk about the explosion. The Outer Limit Supply Company was founded on the idea of providing high quality first aid kits. Their goal is to supply the life-saving equipment you'll need to mitigate the majority of injuries often seen during austere times. From minor injury on an outdoor adventure with your family to your team responding to a major traumatic event, Outer Limits Supply has the kits to manage most situations, providing practical, user-friendly first aid kits that anyone can use. Enter Ian Weekly 
all capitals at checkout and save 20% off your total purchase. Go to www.outerlimitsupply.com today. That's outerlimitsupply.com. Are you passionate about saving lives? LifeSave is currently hiring flight nurses and medics to join our air medical team. Check out our amazing salary and benefits packages. Visit airmethods.com slash careers and apply today. Power outages can happen at any time. Is your community prepared? The Power Up Solar Power Charging Trailer can be used to address the need for temporary power for your community. In addition, the Power Up Solar Power Charging Trailer can provide a platform to support your public information and community resiliency outreach efforts throughout the year to educate and inform people about the need to always be ready. For more information, visit PowerUpConnect.com. That is PowerUpConnect.com. Welcome back from that quick break. And thank you so much for listening to our sponsors because without them, we couldn't bring you the quality content we do. And please reach out to them. Let them know that you heard them here on the EM Weekly Show. So before we went off to break, Jordan, you know, I, I alluded to the fact that you guys have been in the news for a couple of things. And one was uh, a fireworks explosion, if I remember that correctly. And uh, there's, but it's not just that one event. It, there's a, there's other things associated with it. Can you tell a little bit about that story and where you guys are with it right now? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, like you said, there was a fireworks explosion that occurred in Ontario a few weeks back now, and it's definitely a different type of hazard that as an emergency manager and now in my current role that um, I've really never dealt with. Uh, kind of goes second to my three weeks here at Ontario before COVID when we had the repatriation flight that was scheduled to come into Ontario and how we had to spin up that. And that's also something I, I never have dealt with either. So moving back to the explosion piece though, that it was obviously a significant event to our community and caused a lot of um, impacts, which extended to about 100, 200 residents in the area because of the, with the fireworks explosion, there was explosive devices that were spread and riddled across the community, which caused the evacuation and for residents to be out of their home for days. And now as we've moved into the recovery piece and we've used the bomb squads from the area that kind of came through and were able to deem the area safe and pick up all the other uh, fireworks or other explosive devices that were found in the area. And we had to do the damage assessment piece using survey one, two, three, which was another great uh, best practice, something that Raymond Chung, when he was the emergency manager, really uh, put into place here in Ontario is this. So we were able to spin that up quickly and have our building department go out and do damage assessments, which led to, you know, red and yellow tags of the community and the Red Cross stepping in and um, really helping the community members and connecting them with the co-eds and the VOADs and really trying to fill the gap of what their needs are when, you know, one day they were in their home and the next they're out of their home for now weeks and months as some of these properties are going to need a lot of a lot of work. But another great, you know, example of how Ontario came together from all of our different departments to respond and not only mitigate the threat, but now continue to hold the torch and be the advocates for our community and make sure that they're taken care of and that we're um, doing the best we can for our community and all of our partner agencies, the OA, the state, as, as we're moving through recovery have been huge parts in that. I'd like to to bring up the, you know, and I ask, I ask everybody, because uh, I think as us as emergency managers, it's a, it's a perfect point in time for us to be forward facing, um, showing why it's important that we exist, 
what it is that we do, how how we how we can better uh, better serve our communities. Did you, do, are you finding and do you find that you know, with COVID and these explosions, you're in and the more active we've had to be over the last year, that it it more more brings. Um, some reliability, some dependability, and some understanding on what it is that we do as emergency managers, um, where you are, and how that can help promote you to continue to build your department? 100%. I mean, we're showing our worth. And when things start happening, obviously, 2018, 19, we, in, in California, we have wildfires, you have almost every hazard that exists. So it doesn't take too much in the backseat to point to to say that, hey, there's this is why we exist, but we definitely are the ones that can assist not only in the evacuation piece, but also in the alert and warning piece and the planning, the emergency operations center where we can all come together and set up a JIC, which we did for this um, incident down on Francis Street. The abilities to help do the recovery process, connect them to COADS and VOADS to do the damage assessment and then push forward with CDAA uh, reimbursement process or requesting assistance to the SBA loan process to all that together and the after action report. Um, you know, we can fit in a lot of different avenues and assist with a lot of different things that tend to happen. Let me, uh, what do you think um, as us as emergency management professionals can be doing right now to help promote our worth and push the profession forward? To continue as we continue working through this yeah that's a good question i mean i think we we've done a great job as a profession showing the four phases of emergency management really sticking to that is that there's the preparedness and the response the recovery um, the mitigation phases and really trying to navigate jumping between all of them depending on what the need is um, being willing to find ways to say yes, as opposed to the easy say no. I think that that comes as, as any profession that when we have a problem in front of us, emergency managers are the ones that try to fix the problem. And then we got to find a way to say yes to serve the community. And sometimes it might be out of the lane that we thought we we're going to get in, but it's super important for us to ex not only to expand our profession, but also to show the worth and the reason why they're investing in, in the planning cycle and the mitigation piece and why we're applying for all these grants and why we want to help with flood zones and help mitigate, um, vegetation management to help mitigate some wildland threats and why we need technology like alerting systems and uh, web EOC platforms and why it's important to communicate and then also be willing like I said earlier to complete things not just talk do and show no absolutely and and you and you're right and I think that's one of the things that, that we have to do um, as a profession is making sure that we do show our value um, to the community and and to the organization that you're working for specifically you know and and I think by doing what you're saying um, by having these 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 relationships and also being able to uh, complete things and do things and and show uh, what we're what we're worth is is very important you know um, kind of I, I, one of the things I forgot to talk about I really wanted to bring up to is or, you know, realistically where you're at in Ontario, it's a growing community. It, it's, um, uh, that whole, whole, whole area over there is, is growing as well. Um, 
and and you're starting to see you know new development with some old development you have uh the airport that's there you have the convention center that's there you have the huge mall uh, that was really kind of been it was like been a draw for for many years. Um, I mean, what's it like to work inside a growing community than it is in one say where you came from, where it was pretty much built out? Mm-hmm. Well, I think what's interesting about Ontario, and one of the things that drew me here when I applied for the administrative director position was that emergency management was woven into their basic. Um, being from back in the 70s. They've had a preparedness coordinator here through decades. And so emergency management was already, that groundwork was laid here and it was something that they believed and invested in and and knew was necessary for the community. Now with the growing community, we're, we're part of the conversation now. EM's part of our, the Ontario plan of 2050, the general plan as we move forward. What it takes is we start developing and looking where we're gonna have residential. We have huge, big businesses, big corporations, QVC, you know, other Nike, they, they have those huge million square foot tilt-ups and, and how that, how we have to prepare them for disasters when your daytime population spikes to, you know, more than double what your population is. So we're already part of the conversation and um, it's refreshing to see that and it, it's really exciting. Absolutely. Daniel. Well, I mean, I'm going to go back a little bit to the the other uh, question that I had, I mean, ultimately we're trying to, we see that in a lot of, you know, in organizations, you know, cities, a lot, the first position that, or one of the first positions that they say, oh, we don't really need that. I and mean, we, we've talked to this a couple of times on other shows, myself and Todd have experienced this where it's, it's easy to get rid of an emergency management professional. Do you feel like this, this pandemic, the COVID, all the stuff that we've done will prove our worth in a way that says, oh, that's not necessarily the way it's going to go. And if, if you do, what, what do you have to say to those who um, are maybe experiencing that on how they could turn the tide and say, this is why I'm valuable in what I do? I, I think that's a, a great question, Daniel, and that's definitely a lot to unpack in that. But I think when it comes to a revolving door of emergency management, such as a sergeant or a corporal filling that or a retired chief or you know, a retired city manager for that matter that comes in and wants to play emergency manager for the last few years or to extend their career a little bit. While they do have that response side, they do lack a lot of those other knowledge and those, those three other phases of emergency management that are really what keeps us in business. And not only the response piece and the ability to fill out a ICS 213 form is is really those other things, the grant funding, the the political savviness, the ability to deal with volunteers and work with volunteers and get the best out of them. So there's much more to it, as we all know here in this room Um, to sell it, to keep their worth, to show their worth. I think it again goes back to the fact of what have you done lately? Have you been in a room? Have you closed yourself in your office and you've just written plans that you haven't really shared with your organization or it hasn't been infused in the organization? Have you gone out front of your community? Have you done the preparedness? I know this last year has been tough for the outreach events, but what have you done the years previous? Have you sold your worth? Does the community know who you are? Do they know about your programs? Um, Are you using everything from social media to door hangers to your your volunteer population to spread the news? Are you sharing plans and pushing forth ideas? 
um, to your command staff and your executive staff and city management? Are you moving forward with Hauser mitigation grants? Are you, you know, showing your worth on getting EMPG equipment that is worth? You're not just buying radios that sit in a box that never get used in a closet downstairs. Um, I think we can be our owner's worst enemy as well when we do those things that we have to also advocate for a profession. And I think that's really the key. Um, you know, there's obviously funding issues that a lot of cities are gonna have. And unfortunately, some organizations might view emergency management as something they could just put as a collateral duty on some other individual that's in the office, um, really just to check that box. But I think as we've seen how important and how political and how much impacts that you can have to a community with a pandemic or other large scale disasters, that I think that really helps sail our ship forward. Absolutely. Now, I couldn't say that any better myself, Jordan. Uh, thank you for that. You know, <clears throat> we're getting here closer to the end. I want to give, give give you just a little bit of time to uh, sort of talk about some of the upcoming things that you're doing in Ontario. Um, I, I know that, Jordan, you know, you are an advocate of, of volunteer programs um, as, as well. What, what are you guys doing that's unique in, in Ontario that you could share with uh, emergency managers across the world? Well, that's kind of a, a, a good question too. I'm not sure. One of the big things that I can talk about that I really like that I brought to my previous agency as well is bringing some usable guides, some disaster specific city guides that are made for Ontario or made for my previous organization as well, doing evacuation mapping that actually shows evacuation routes that ties to safe zones, that brings hazards, that can be have QR codes on them that people can put on their phone and load them on their iPhone and know how to how to use them to do those shape files of notification zones. So when you have that disaster, that no notice event that emergency managers or your staff or whoever is going to activate those alerting systems, have those in your pocket and already know about them and how to activate it. So you can send that message quickly um, back to the disaster preparedness guys. I think when you really hone in on what the hazards are in your community is putting together a city specific guide that can really link them to the tools or the uh, tear out check sheets or the contact lists. And basically when the rubber meets the road, is your community gonna have the knowledge on what they can do to either make sure that they can survive the event or, or what services are available. Um, we worked with a professor out of Chapman University that really focuses on those um, easily interpreted, uh, more of images or I'm, I'm losing the term, but basically pictures that kind of tell the picture or explain what you're trying to get across without having a paragraph. Because as you know, everyone has lost focus on sitting down and reading long things to try to get understanding. They want to look at it, get a good grasp of what it is and have a couple sentences. And I think that's really where we're turning to EM is trying to make it simpler, but trying to get the message out there. And I see a lot of communities, it's not just Ontario specific that are grabbing onto not only that mapping piece, also the alerting piece, but now also these specific for the city guides piece. So it's pretty exciting. And I think we're on a, on a good road. Absolutely, Jordan. Thank you so much for your time today. It's, it's always a pleasure to talk to you and, and you guys are doing some great innovative stuff over in Ontario, your entire team. Um, and I know it's not just you back there. You got a, you got a mm -hmm. team behind you. Um, and, uh, it's it's awesome to see that, and it's exciting to see a progressive emergency manager like you in a, in a great city like Ontario. Thank you so much for your time. Yeah, thanks, Todd, for having me. 
so dan we're here at the end uh, of today uh, it's a great conversation um with with jordan regarding uh ontario and some of the great stuff they're doing and and just being out there in front and and really making a difference and it's it's great to see an emergency manager like jordan um you know uh, taking the lead of a, of a city like that what so what do you think no, I think his, his leadership is definitely is is definitely evident, and the response and the capability that's come from it is is showing. Um, and he's doing great work. And uh, once again, I just appreciate the time that he gave gave it to us today. Absolutely, and everybody out there, thank you guys for joining us this morning um, on Ian Weekly. And you know, without you, you know, we we're just a bunch of guys just talking about stuff. I do appreciate your comments in the uh, in the comment section as well. And remember, follow us on, on Facebook, LinkedIn, YouTube, Twitter. And uh, don't forget to also join us at the Crisis Cafe at crisis-cafe.com. And until next week, stay safe, stay hydrated.